and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator. Joining me is someone who hasn't missed a life day yet, Lily. <laughs> Thank goodness I haven't. <laughs> and also joining us on the Hitting Play hotline is a returning guest, our go-to Star Wars expert, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. Now, as I always say in the opening of the show, sometimes we discuss curiosities. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week we certainly watched a curiosity. Uh, it was a curiosity so terrible, it was never aired again, and George Lucas was so embarrassed by it, he refused to ever release it, hoping it would never surface again. And that's right, we watched the Star Wars Holiday Special. Now, it only aired once on November 17th, 1978 on CBS running from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock p.m., and it actually preempted airings of Wonder Woman and The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> it was just uh, an immense critical disaster. The Hulk should have smashed it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I guess it was so bad that Lucas even tried to buy back all of the master tapes, but he was unsuccessful. He was also quoted at uh, an Australian convention saying that if I had the time and a sledgehammer, I would track down every bootleg copy of the program and smash it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if only he felt that way about the prequels. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so, there was no real official release of this special. They, As far as Star Wars goes, they like to pretend this never existed. So really, the only way you can watch this is through bootlegs, and most of the recordings have been from CBS affiliates broadcasts in Des Moines, Iowa, and Baltimore, Maryland. So if you want to follow along and watch this, it's kind of hard to track down. There are some pieces of it on YouTube. It's not complete. Uh, some of us watched the Riff Tracks version. Those are the guys formerly of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that have their own version of it in which they have uh, funny commentary over it. And I would say that's probably the best way to view it. Uh, the jokes certainly help. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or if you happen to know Carrie Fisher, apparently she plays it um, at the end of parties when she wants her guests to leave. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's pretty effective, too. Looking back at where this came from, it's just following that huge success that Star Wars was. George Lucas teamed up with some producers to create this variety show for primetime television. And the only problem was that, I guess, from what I've read, a lot of these producers' main experience was creating dance numbers for the Carol Burnett show. <laughs> and the, the first director, his name was David Acomba, he had created a lot of this special already, but then he was dismissed in the middle of shooting. And it was taken over by Steve Binder, or Binder, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. And he ended up finishing the rest of it. Now what's interesting about this guy is that he went on to produce the Chevy Chase show. Which is often referred to as the worst talk show in television history. <laughs> so, I mean, even though he's won Emmys in his career, I, I don't want to disparage the guy. But it's interesting to see some of the things he has on his resume. And you combine that with Lucas's insistence on having these long sequences with only Wookiee dialogue. Oh my god. Yeah. If I had <laughs> been alive when this aired, I probably just would have gotten up and turned it off at the Wookiee noises for 20 minutes. 
you would have been like millions of others. (laughs) This just was a disaster. Wait, what's happening to our ratings? (laughs) I read that Lucas claimed he wasn't involved in the production, um, that he just gave them the approval for them to use the characters and images from the first movie. But uh, one of the actresses said that he was sent dailies to approve. So I think he was a little more involved than he leads us to believe. I think so. He's got to be. I mean, yeah, he was the one who insisted it was just strictly Wookiee opening scene. Yeah. That was his his uh, desire there. This is what happens when Lucas has uh, more control than he should over a production, as we saw with episodes one, two, and three. Exactly. Now, doing research on this, I was able to find a great Esquire.com interview with Steve Binder. And uh, just, just to give you guys a little bit of background here, they asked him... Was there any specific challenge you faced on this project? And one of the things he said was, the most important decision that had to be made was to open up the main set in order to allow my multiple camera crew access for their equipment, as well as their bodies. I guess the main set that they made for the special was a 360 degree circular set with no openings to move equipment in or out. So it's like they were just like building the actual treehouse without thinking of it as an actual set for a TV show. And as he mentioned, it looked fantastic to the naked eye, but completely impractical for a multiple camera shoot. (laughs) So they had to make a removable fourth wall that could be moved in and out. Oh my god. Another thing that he mentioned was, he said, if I do have any misgivings, I think it's that CBS and Lucas should have made it extremely clear to the viewing audience that this was a variety television special and not one of Lucas's brilliant feature film Star Wars sequels. He goes on to say, I think some of the audience probably tuned in expecting to see the multi-million dollar production of a motion picture of this magnitude. I don't even understand what the whole point of it was supposed to be. Like, at the end of it, I, <laughs> you know... I guess we'll get there. We'll, we'll get to it. There's, there's a lot more to talk about, it, especially as we get towards the end, but... It just looks like CBS and 20th Century Fox just jumping on this this huge success. And I can't blame them. There's certainly yeah. money to be made here. And it was going to launch into Kenner merchandise for it. There were prototypes of the figures of Chewbacca and his family. So there was a lot planned. But now this is just something that they just try to completely bury. You know, in the internet age, when you want to completely bury a special like this... That makes it bigger than, you know, or to to quote somebody, if you strike it down, it will become more powerful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we get into this, what was your experience with this special? Well, I uh, purchased a bootleg DVD of this um, several years ago, at least a dozen, and probably got it off of eBay. And I brought it to your house, Scott, and we enjoyed it together. And it's been so long since we watched it, we forgot how terrible it was and decided to watch it again to review it. <laughs> All of that is true except for the word enjoy, but yes. <laughs> yes, the first time I saw this was with you, and uh, I was actually very excited to see it because I'd heard so much about it and how terrible it is and... I can't resist something that terrible. And it certainly lived up to the hype. 
I have certainly heard you and Sean joke about it before, but I've never seen it before. Um, knew it existed, but this is my first time watching it, and now I want to scrub my eyeballs. <laughs> safe, safe to say your last time watching it, Lily? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now with those glowing reviews, let, let's get right into this. <laughs> It's in the form of a variety show, so it's broken up into segments. And in the first segment, we see Han and Chewbacca narrowly escape an Imperial Armada in the Millennium Falcon. And the whole premise is that Han must get Chewie back home to Kashyyyk for Life Day. And this is a very special Wookiee holiday. And it's really funny because they're in the cockpit and it's just the shaky set. You picture there's probably two guys on either side just shaking the set. <laughs> and they splice in some movie footage, and at this point, the two of them, the characters, jump into light speed. Yeah, um, anyone that's seen A New Hope will recognize some of these images from that movie. They recycled a lot of video from A New Hope in this, um, and here we're seeing Millennium Falcon flying in space above Tatooine and being chased by two Star Destroyers much like it was when they were escaping with Luke and Obi-Wan <laughs> headed toward the Death Star. One thing I wrote down from this scene was uh, Han said something about turning a back. Uh, they'd have to turn back, couldn't make it to Kashyyyk. And I was like, what's turning back going to do when two Star Destroyers are chasing you from behind? <laughs> um, they weren't necessarily trying to prevent them from getting the Kashyyyk. They're just trying to stop them in general. Yeah. So I've uh, noted several little things that were said and done like that that didn't make sense, and that just stood out to me as not making sense. It's crazy as we go further into this. It then fades out into the words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then the Star Wars Holiday Special. And this is really, like, cheaply superimposed on the screen. This looks nothing like the opening titles of the actual movie itself. Unfortunately so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had written down that the a long time ago was in white. seemed like Times New Roman type <laughs> with a star field background. Yeah. Instead of the blue text we're used to with a black background and then star wars is in white again with that star field instead of solid yellow so they couldn't even mimic the good things about the title credits of the original movie <laughs> yeah you think they could just cut that out of the out of footage of the original movie so we get the opening credits and we see mark hamill and he's completely caked in makeup we'll, we'll talk more about that later but it doesn't even look the same we see Harrison Ford, who looks embarrassed to be there throughout the special. <laughs> we see what looks like a heavily sedated Carrie Fisher. Oh my gosh. Anthony Daniels reprising his role as C-3PO. Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. And then a very interesting R2-D2 as R2-D2. So it looks like Kenny Baker was not invited to the party. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Very strange. I didn't notice that the first time I watched it. You know, you're going to try to save money by not inviting him <laughs> to reprise his role. But maybe there was a scheduling issue. And James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader. And it, it's interesting. It's one of 
It's either the first time or one of the first times he was actually credited here as the voice of Darth Vader. Uh, I believe it is the first time, and then the next time is five years later in 1983 during the credits of Star Wars Episode VI, Return of the Jedi. Oh, really? So not even in Empire Strikes Back. That's interesting. And later on, we'll see Darth Vader. And it's only from, as Paul said, movie footage that's cut from A New Hope. But this was actually footage from the cutting room floor. This was deleted footage that they used. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I guess it's not complete theft. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might as well recycle the good stuff, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I recognize the um, officer he was talking to, but not the conversation. And I looked as close as I could at the mouth of the officer to make sure they weren't just putting different words in his mouth and the mouth wasn't syncing up, but that wasn't the case. So I figured that probably was going to be in A New Hope and then didn't make it yeah they were fortunate enough to find a line that they could kind of work into the story some generic you know find the rebels type line <laughs> and now the horror begins as we're introduced to chewbacca's family oh my god his wife mala his father itchy and his son lumpy that is a very unfortunate name <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was just going to say I had to hop on Wikipedia because uh, I was like, what kind of names for Wookiees are itchy and lumpy? <laughs> Terrible uh, ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, was okay, I was okay with Mala. So I found out that his wife's full name is Mala Tobuk. Uh, his father's full name, and I'm going to pronounce this as best I can, is Atichitakuk. <laughs> something like that and then his son is either Lumpawaru or Lumpawarump I found both on Wikipedia <laughs> I found something about the sounds that they made so uh, Ben Burt created the sounds that Mala and Itchy made from recordings of bears and lions at Olympic Game Farm in Sakim, Washington. And for Lumpy's sounds, he used a recording of a baby bear at the San Diego Zoo. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can hear it. It's, it's definitely an animal sound. Definitely. <laughs> a disturbing animal sound. <laughs> Actually, some of the noises that uh, Lumpy made reminded me of noises that the Tauntauns made in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. So I wonder if they used uh, the same animal to produce uh, sounds as well. Could be, yeah. Oh, and just building off of what you were saying about Chewbacca's father, yeah, I think it's Achituck. Now, supposedly, Achituck was in a rough draft of A New Hope, or, you know, we're calling it A New Hope. It was named after the fact, but, you know, Star Wars. And... He was supposed to be there as Chewbacca's father, but his name was Auzatuck, and he was chief of the Kapaku tribe. So Chewbacca's father could have been in the original movie, and seeing what I'm seeing now, I'm very happy he wasn't. If it was up to Lucas, he would have been. Oh, yes. <laughs> like you said, uh, Lucas works best when he's held back creatively sometimes. <laughs> And we're also told here about these special guest stars. Beatrice Arthur, Art Carney, Diane Carroll, the Jefferson Starship. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Harvey Corman, and an animated Star Wars story. 
so we open on a matte painting of a large treehouse. This is as best as they could get for set design. And we look at the Wookiee home on the planet of Kashyyyk. Now, am I pronouncing that right, Paul? Is it Kashyyyk? That's how I would say it. Okay. Uh, we hear it pronounced a little differently <laughs> in the movie later. So here we see Chewbacca's family. We see Itchy is building a wooden model X-Wing. Mala is preparing the Life Day meal. And Lumpy is just going around annoying them both. And like Lily said, we have this, these bear noises. And it's just these hideous sounds. What did they do to these poor animals to get them to reproduce these noises? Oh, I know. <laughs> and, and and we get, a, a good, I would say, a good ten minutes without actual words, just sounds. And they're acting. And we can we get a sense of, you know, Lumpy's annoying them. And Mala's wearing an apron, so we know she's cooking. And I don't know why she needs an apron. And she's holding a picture of <laughs> Chewbacca and crying. So it's like, oh, okay, she misses him. It's insane. You can only imagine how many people shut the TV off at this in the first 10 minutes. I was dying. I fast forwarded to see to hope that that wasn't all there was for the whole thing. <laughs> this is a, a good reason why the Rift Tracks version is the preferred version because you need a little bit to break this up. Yes, that definitely helped to be entertained by their commentary because I didn't find any of the holiday special entertaining. No, I mean, and, and sometimes if you go back and revisit shows and specials from the 70s and, and 60s and even 80s and 90s, things are a little slower. I, people have a, a much shorter attention span nowadays, but even then, this was just unbearable. So Itchy then tries to cheer up his grandson Lumpy by playing a holographic gymnastics program on their holographic table. Now, Paul, is this the same game board that we see on the Millennium Falcon? I don't think it's exactly the same one. I believe that's called a Dejeric board, and I was hoping they were actually going to play a game like we saw played in A New Hope yeah. between Chewbacca and the droids. And I thought that would be cool because I myself used to play checkers with my grandpa. It was a cool pastime, but uh, that wasn't unfortunately the case here. <laughs> Not at all. This launches us into the circus acrobatic sequence of the program. And here we see these neon-colored fur and feather-lined bodysuit-wearing people. And they're dancing, and they're performing on, on the uneven bars, and they're juggling. I imagine that's what the Cirque du Soleil would look like if you were on acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very pre-Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> This was actually a group of Moroccan acrobats called the Wazan Troop. And they had toured and performed for many years, and they also had notable appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1954 and 1961. Huh. And we, we get some terrible music accompanying this performance. That... <laughs> Safe to say that John Williams wasn't the composer of anything in this. <laughs> very true so as this wraps up we see Mala types on a very old looking computer and we see the words you have reached traffic control no starships in area and they slide open a secret panel in their I don't know Ikea curio cabinet or credenza or whatever this thing is in their living room and it reveals a secret video communicator I just thought it was funny they, they had these you know typical 70s furniture in their Kashyyyk treehouse. 
So now Mala, Itchy, and Lumpy contact Luke Skywalker and the Kenny Bakerless R2-D2. And Luke seems to be repairing some sort of giant e-cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny I notice about this is it's just like Luke completely understands the Wookiee language. He's, he's conversing with them and, you know, they're growling back at him. And yeah. This is what I don't understand about Wookiees is if they can understand English perfectly, why, why respond with animal growls and grunts? <laughs> I actually stumbled across something about that. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I think it was on Wikipedia. It said that because of the way they're... Um, anatomy is their voice boxes and everything they are unable to speak basic which is what we call english so they have to speak or growl in the way they do but they can understand basic speech it's a horrible fate <laughs> it's it's like the dogs on america's funny some videos that, that go <laughs> i love you <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so Luke realizes through this conversation, I guess you can call it, that Chewbacca hasn't showed up at home yet. And he asks Mala, let's see that smile. And he reassures her with, hey, he hasn't missed a life day yet. It's like, how do you know? I mean, at this point, how long has he known Chewbacca? Not very long at all. <laughs> this um, special is supposed to take place one year after the Battle of Yavin. So he's known Chewbacca for approximately 12 months and two days. <laughs> so he was he was there last year, so as far as I know, he hasn't missed a life day yet. And keep in mind, I think we've, we've talked about Chewbacca's age in a previous episode. I think we've established that Chewbacca's, what, around 200 years old? Something like that? Yes. It's safe to, to assume. So he, he could have missed one, Luke. Maybe when he was uh, taken as a slave by the Empire before Han freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and in this scene, it is very obvious that Mark Hamill is just wearing pounds of facial makeup. Um, and that's because he had just been in a near-fatal car accident a few weeks earlier and uh, had gotten reconstructive facial surgery. Like you said, caked onto him, pounds of it. And it, do it doesn't even look like the same guy. Not at all. Yeah, I read that he uh, fractured his nose and his left cheekbone in that car accident. Oh, wow. They actually wanted to film over a couple scenes in A New Hope, but they couldn't because of that. So uh, they used a double on some stuff and just stayed with what they had with the rest. Yeah, and, and ever since then he had those scars that you could see on his face for the other two movies. But you can only imagine with them being so fresh, they would have to try to put as much makeup as possible. And even in the lowest of low definition television, you could still see that it doesn't look right. <laughs> even the coloring is off, too. It's just like the bridge of his nose is a different color than the rest of his face. I wonder if that's why they had the Wampa attack him in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back and hit him in the face to give him a reason to have scars. Oh. Yeah. Tricky, tricky. Yeah, but you think you think Lucas would have uh, been that clever? No. <laughs> Maybe Irvin Kirshner was. Yes, probably. 
So after they talk to Luke, we see that Mala then contacts the Wookiee Planet C trading post. And this is like a little store, I guess, and we see an Imperial Guard looking around the shop of a man named Son Dan, played by the great Art Carney from the Honeymooners, and he's a local trader who is human for some reason, <laughs> and he's showing off different items, including a pocket-sized aquarium. Okay, Wookiees don't have pockets, as far as I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I think Chewbacca had a pouch on that belt he had around his um, torso. <laughs> right, but... <laughs> I agree. Do you think maybe he had some aquariums in there the whole time? <laughs> Perhaps. A little snack when he was desperate. <laughs> <laughs> and Mala calls, of course, during this time when this Imperial Guard is, you know, browsing. And Son wants her to play cool and, and just be quiet. So he tells her that he knows she wants to know when the shaggy carpet will arrive. And it was made by a little old lady four planets away. She did it all by Han. Solo. Very sneaky. <laughs> you think the guard would have been like, did you just say Han Solo? Who are you <laughs> <Yeah>. talking to? <laughs> Yeah, I was <laughs> the guard completely oblivious to the fact he's having a conversation. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever seen an Imperial Naval officer with facial hair. This guy had a mustache, and he, like, goes out of the, his way to be such a jerk. <laughs> and the way he talks, he's so creepy, and, I don't know, it's just really weird. <laughs> but yeah, so much overacting. In this special. Like, we really want to make sure the kids know who the bad guys are. <laughs> I said I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we see that Son Dan now shows him a personal groomer, which I guess he's going to use to, uh, you know, groom that, that great mustache of his. And he reads this whole laundry list of things it can do. Hair trimming and shaving, pierces ears, calculates... It can repeat the entire Imperial Penal Code in all 17 volumes. And then, yeah, as Paul said, he just, he'll, he said he'll take it, but he literally means he will take it without paying. So then we cut to some more movie footage. We see two Star Destroyers, and then we get this scene of Darth Vader walking the halls. Now, Paul, was this scene where Darth Vader is talking to an Imperial officer, was this... Inside of the Death Star? It could be from the Death Star or a Star Destroyer very early in the New Hope when Tantive Four was attacked by a Star Destroyer. Vader was on that Star Destroyer. So, one or the other. Okay. It's, well, I mean, it would have to be Star Destroyers because there would be no Death Star at this point. But I was just wondering if they took some Death Star footage and kind of spliced it in there. I liked how he said that he was so desperate to find the rebels. Even if they had to search household to household in the entire system, he wanted them found. <laughs> I think that would take a long time. <laughs> you think they would just for, say forget it for just two rebels when there's an entire base that they're looking for at the same time? <laughs> it's That's very true. Yes. So now here we get a commercial break. And when we return, 
we now see the cooking show segment. Oh, dear lord. <laughs> yes, so we return on that painting of the Kashyyyk treehouse, and Mala is preparing the Life Day meal, and she puts on a cooking show where Chef Gormanda, played here by Harvey Corman, shows how to make Bantha Surprise. I think the surprise is probably how much Wookiee hair fell into it. You. <laughs> 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 yeah, she should have been wearing like a, a body net. Yeah. <laughs> At least that apron is keeping some of it. Yeah, I guess that's why they would have to wear the apron. That makes sense. Keep the hair out of it. Now, Paul, if I'm not mistaken, are Bantha's native to Tatooine, Luke's planet? I don't know if that's the only planet in the Star Wars universe they are. But, yeah, we've seen Bantha's only on Tatooine. So this has got to be a pretty expensive cut of meat. I'm not sure yeah, how far like Tatooine it? and Kashyyyk are from each other. So. so how'd you guys like this cooking segment? You must have been cracking up, right? I, um... <laughs> I didn't know quite what to feel watching this <laughs> cooking segment. Uh, it was funny. It was very bizarre. Um... Reminded me a little bit of Monty Python, almost. Kind of an odd comparison. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny, but nothing in in this is funny funny. It's funny strange. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the joke here is that she's giving Mala instructions through this view screen, which, do you notice the flat screen TV that she had? Very ahead of its time. Nowadays, people do have small flat screen televisions like that in their kitchens. But the, but the joke is that she keeps giving more instructions, and faster and faster, and Mala's struggling to keep up, and it's revealed that Gormanda has four arms, and so she's able to perform all these different tasks all at the same time, with great ease, and, you know, Mala's just completely hopeless. <laughs> uh, I have a small rant to go on about this. Oh, please. Basically, at this point, I was asking myself, who was this special made for? <laughs> Who is the target audience? Because, you know, with this, with the hologram circus, the over-the-top acting, the sense of humor, although it's more of a lack of sense of humor, <laughs> it seems to be for kids. But then there's other things that aren't for kids that we'll get into later. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh... You know, it just kind of reminds me of, like, episode one of Phantom Menace, where it seemed like this was target audience children. We have a young Anakin. We have R2 and C-3PO. We have Jar Jar Binks. But then we have all this talk about politics and trade embargoes and whatever. So I was really confused. Like, is this just for all Star Wars fans, or who are we trying to entertain here. I, I think they asked themselves that same question. I mean, they, they just went so broad with this yeah. that it just appealed to nobody. <laughs> There's a little something in it for no one. <laughs> <laughs> and just one thing I wanted to mention about the character of Chef Gormanda is that in the original CBS production notes for this special, Gormanda is referred to as the Julia Child of the Milky Way. Now, this makes absolutely no sense because not only is this not set in the Milky Way galaxy, as is established, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, but also as The Verge pointed out in a, a recent article, 
I'll, I'll quote this. It says, Julia Child, living as she did on Earth, already was the Julia Child of the Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. So every, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people behind this had no idea what they were dealing with with the source material. So mercifully, this segment ends, and we wipe to more movie footage of attacking TIE fighters. And Han and Chewbacca discover that they came out of hyperspace right in the middle of an Imperial convoy. More footage taken from A New Hope. And I was like, who's firing the quad laser cannon? Because we just have Han and Chewbacca, and they're both in the cockpit. But then uh, Han says something about how he had remote control of them, but then he lost it and he had to uh, go fire them manually. Mm -hmm. I just wonder why they didn't use that remote uh, firing capability in A New Hope when they were attacked by the four TIE fighters leaving the Death Star. (laughs) Maybe it's an upgrade since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So we then cut back to Kashyyyk. And Mala once again cries holding Chewbacca's picture, just in case you weren't sure what was going on, or tuned in a little late. And an alarm goes off, and on the view screen appears this high-ranking Imperial officer, and he announces now that martial law has been declared because of suspected rebel activity on the Kazook planet, and a blockade will be set up, preventing any ships from entering or leaving. So it's obviously going to be hard now for Han and Chewie to make it back home, but I just love the... The pronunciation of Kazook. <laughs> you know what this reminded me of was uh, the Red Letter Media review of episode one. Mm-hmm. When they talked about how George Lucas couldn't figure out how he wanted Gungans to be pronounced. Because in the movie we hear Gungans, but then we see a video clip of him talking to, I think, Steven Spielberg, or I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And he's saying Gungas. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like, which one is it? And so is it Kashyyyk? Is it Kazook? What is it? <laughs> now, all of a sudden, we hear knocking on the door, and it's Sondan, bearing goods and gifts. And he remarks, you know, why all the long, hairy faces? That just seems like an insult. I don't know. <laughs> oh, for sure. And what is the connection of this guy and Chewbacca's family? They seem to have this history together. They They know each other very well, I guess. He's their, you know, pocket aquarium dealer or something. (laughs) And now we're going to get to the most probably disturbing scene of this special. This is certainly the low point. And I I just had to write in my notes just the word wow. (laughs) And could somebody describe Sondan's gift for Chewbacca's father here? Go ahead, Lily. (laughs) (laughs) It's to be some sort of virtual reality erotica machine. I don't understand. (laughs) Nobody understands. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like an adult entertainment virtual reality helmet. In the middle of this children's or at least family special. And there's no like, oh, maybe they, it was just, no, this is exactly what it was supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And Itchy sits down. He's going to use this in the middle of the living room with the whole family around, by the way. And uh, he the program begins and we see, the, which I thought this was kind of interesting. We see the series of like glowing swimming humanoid creatures, you know, like at the beginning. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. And Paul, now I know you've seen episode three. Are these creatures similar to the ones we see Palpatine watching 
in that show in episode three. Do you remember what I'm talking about? He and when Anakin comes up to speak to Palpatine, he's in the middle of watching this live performance, and it's these swimming creatures inside of this giant like water orb. You know, I didn't even make that connection. Um, it's been years since I saw episode three. Yeah. So, um, I'd have to go back and look. Um, what it reminded me of was the beginning of a uh, James Bond movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. When they have the opening song and they have all these uh, women seductively moving around and half in shadows or whatever. I don't even know why these swimming creatures were there anyway, because they're, they're only there for a few seconds. And then we see the singer Diane Carroll, and she's credited as Mermia Holographic. So I don't know if that's like a mermaid reference, so maybe that's why they were there. But she's basically a lady in a bodysuit and a very cheap purple wig. Like Lily said, it's not vague at all with what this is supposed to be. She invites Itchy to experience her. And again, this is a family special. Yeah. yeah, it's very disturbing. And then, so Diane Carroll then begins to sing the song This Minute Now. Before she sang, what was the line that he kept playing over and over again? Oh, yeah. Was it, I find you very attractive or something like yeah, that? adorable. Was adorable. Like adorable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Just because it's adorable, it's fine, you know. That's that made like, Itchy very happy. He played that over like four or five times. <laughs> you can't imagine he hears much compliments in his life. <laughs> well, with a name like Itchy. I mean. And with an underbite like that. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> On the, the Riff Tracks commentary, at the end of the scene, they're like, okay, and he's eating his own face or something, something to that effect. <laughs> his chin, yeah, literally comes up like over his nose at the end of that scene. The costume is just so weird. We know Chewbacca gets his good looks from his mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the song ends and we cut to Princess Leia and C-3PO in an office building. Oh, I mean a rebel base, excuse me. Leia contacts Mala on the secret video communicator asking for Chewbacca or Han. And Mala, through C-3PO, tells Leia that they haven't arrived or made contact yet. And Leia then says she understands Mala's words for some reason. There's really no <laughs> need for C-3PO. Everybody understands Wookiee in this special. <laughs> Apparently. They have to read body language. <laughs> Evidently so. So Sandan comes to the screen, introduces himself, and Leia asks him to care for the family in Chewbacca's absence. So now we cut back to Han and Chewbacca. They're inside the Millennium Falcon, and they approach Kashyyyk, and detecting that Imperial traffic, they decide to land on the north side of the planet. Okay, I don't, you know, we haven't really established where Chewbacca's family is anyway, so wherever. And as they fly over Kashyyyk, we cut to Lumpy in the treehouse, and he's all excited as he hears a ship flying above. And Chewbacca's family excitedly runs to the door now to greet Chewie and Han, but as the door opens, guys, they tricked us. Oh, you know, it's not like I saw it coming a mile away. <laughs> We see two stormtroopers standing there with their blasters drawn. That uh, video of the Millennium Falcons flying over Kashyyyk, uh, you may recognize as the Millennium Falcons flying over Yavin 4. Yeah, not even the same planet, or not even the right place. Oh. Yeah, the forest moon that the base was on uh, when the Death Star was destroyed. <laughs> 
So at this point of the show, we mercifully get a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break ourselves, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. How would you like to have your money doubled? Sound too good to be true? At Copper Exchange Financial Services, we specialize in turning your savings into twice its value. What's our secret? It has to be some sort of high-risk investment, right? Not at all. By simply exchanging your entire savings for pennies and selling those pennies online for two cents apiece, we can turn a nickel into a dime in as little as two years. Look around. No one is offering a return like that. So drop us a line and give us your two cents. In due time, it'll be four cents. Copper Exchange Financial Services. We're also a petting zoo and a fried dough stand. And we're back. And when we return in the show, we see the stormtroopers, they make their way into Chewbacca's house, and they're accompanied by guards and some high-ranking officer. I think they're credited with names here, but again, it's not really important. And they ask where Chewbacca is. San tells them that, oh yeah, he left after he had a fight with his wife, and the officer demands that they now search the house. Of course. Now one guard, he wants to see San's gift for Mala, and this is some sort of, like... It looks like a big lunchbox or toolbox, and it's a holographic viewer of some sort. And Son sets it up for him on the table, and of course he does this very slowly. He's trying to stall, and the guard yells, Will you get on with it? <laughs> this is actually a reference to Art Carney's Ed Norton character from The Honeymooners, and that's something exactly like this would take place, and Jackie Gleason would yell that line at him. So... This was a reference for all the parents and grandparents watching. <laughs> kind of silly. And, and I love on the Rift Tracks commentary, at this point when he's improvising and overacting, Mike Nelson says, Academy Award winner, Art Carney. <laughs> <laughs> so he opens up this box and a band is inside, this holographic image of a band. And this is Jefferson Starship, or the Jefferson Starship, playing the song Light the Sky on Fire. So how'd you guys like the song? I have to be oh. honest, I kind of skipped over it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't much interested in it either. <laughs> Just completely arbitrary to what was going on. I was like, what does this have to do with anything that is going on in the special at the moment? <laughs> it doesn't have to do with anything, but none of it does. I thought this was a very impractical gift for Mala. Yeah. I thought maybe something to help her out with cooking as she needs help, obviously. But now she gets a music box. <laughs> yeah, why, why let Itchy have all the cheap thrills? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, very big on the holographic entertainment. <laughs> now, this performance of this song, they put some really, like, hazy, glowing purple effects over the footage. I guess what they were trying to do is attempt to remind the audience that there were such things as lightsabers, but without actually having to pay for the lightsaber effect. So there's like the guitar, the keyboards, the microphones, they're all glowing like bright purple. Oh yeah, I wondered why. I was like, that's dumb, I can't even see the microphone. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they certainly overdo it. I mean, you can barely see what's going on. And I guess they, they actually did release this as like a bonus 
45 or something with one of their greatest hits collections. Uh, they, they did actually release this in some form, this song, so if you actually want to get your hands on a copy of it. I'll be checking <laughs> iTunes or Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the guard likes it. You know, he's like smiling and I guess like tapping his finger or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so finally, this whole segment ends and Sondan is told he can leave and... As he says goodbye, the stormtroopers, they're ordered to search the house for any evidence of rebel activity. As the troopers make their way upstairs, Lumpy decides, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll just sit down and watch some TV. And he puts on his headphones in front of a small view screen, and a cartoon begins to play. This, this I have to say, is the high point of the special. This is the Boba Fett cartoon. And not that it's that great, but compared to everything else, it's awesome. Which, unfortunately, I did not get to see because I did not watch the Rift Track version. I watched it on YouTube. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's some a lot of things for copyright reasons are pulled out of the versions on YouTube. You can find it in some places. Paul, how did you like this Boba Fett cartoon? Um, it was entertaining. There were some problems with it. First, I noted, is it realistic that the people involved in this epic struggle of good versus evil would allow their likenesses to be drawn and run their voices to such a production. Like, what if the Empire gets their hands on this and they're like, oh, that's what their ship looks like and that's what they look like. I, I thought the only reason to do this was if it was propaganda to get young ones to favor the Rebel Alliance over the Empire. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, it was mentioned in the cartoon that Boba Fett was uh, Vader's right-hand man or whatever. Mm -hmm. But obviously, we know that's not the case. He's an independent bounty hunter. Yeah, and it's notable because this is Boba Fett's first appearance in the Star Wars universe. This is the introduction to the character. <laughs> now, actually, this is his second appearance overall. There was actually a parade in the California town of San Anselmo I guess because it was near Lucasfilm, they had a, I don't know, some parade or something where Vader was going to march and Boba Fett was at his side. And this was a brand new character. And it's such like a small town. They didn't really care much and it's not really covered in the newspaper. There's a picture and he signed autographs, but there wasn't really much interest in who this new character was. But as far as his actual first appearance in the Star Wars universe, and of course, I, I can't imagine any of this is canon anyway, but this was where most people got to see him. As you, Scott, may know, uh, Boba Fett was supposed to be in A New Hope. Um, they had filmed a scene in Docking Bay 94 of Mos Eisley where Han and Jabba had uh, a conversation um, about the money Han owed, but they didn't have the money to make Jabba looked the way Lucas envisioned. They just filmed it with Jabba being an overweight man in a fur coat or something like that. And um, we see Boba Fett in that scene, but that was cut out of the 77 release. But in the 90s, when the special edition came out, uh, that was added and they used CGI to make Slug uh, Jabba the Hutt put him over the stand-in actor and then we got to see Boba Fett as he was really supposed to appear for the very first time. Yeah, there's there's some problems with that scene too, but yeah. 
And just, just briefly going over the story of this Boba Fett cartoon, it starts with an alien language like title card. Now, I thought this might have been Japanese, but it doesn't look like it. Is this supposed to be like, I don't know, maybe Mandalorian possibly? I don't know. Um, there is, you can find online the alphabet in the Star Wars universe for basic. They don't write English the way we write English. Oh, okay. Um, in several parts of the movies, you see text appear, and they do actually have an alphabet out there. I have the Star Wars Monopoly, and printed on the uh, money is this alphabet, or words in this alphabet. But I didn't get the chance to compare that to the alphabet to see if that's what it was, or just some random language they made up. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting touch. The whole story is that Han and Chewbacca had just found the talisman, and this is like an artifact, like a medallion or something, and they crash on this, like, gelatinous planet, and they send a distress signal, and Luke and the droids go after them. When they pursue and land on the planet, Boba Fett helps save their life and reveals himself as a friend, and he keeps saying, friend, come on, friend, 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 and Luke, Luke <laughs> thinks, oh, I guess he's a friend. So Luke and the droids, they follow him to the Millennium Falcon, and when they get in there, Chewie then throws away this talisman, and Luke passes out. Like, it has some sort of power over Luke, and it makes him pass out. It's supposedly, it's some sort of virus, sleeping virus, that the Empire uses, and Boba Fett knows all about it, and he says that, oh, I'll go into the city and get the remedy. And Chewbacca's suspicious, and he follows him. And we get this... I thought this was funny, a nice Star Trek ripoff. A Starlog update. And this is a voiceover that informs us that, oh, Boba Fett had a different plan. And uh, he calls Darth Vader and tells him that all is going to plan and what he's going to do is gain their trust and then they're going to take him back to the rebel base and, you know, they'll be able to locate it. Boba Fett goes back, he cures Luke and Han, they call him a faithful friend and ally, and... I guess R2-D2 had intercepted that call with Darth Vader, so the droids know that he's not a friend. And then now, finally, they speak up. Upon hearing this, Boba Fett's like, alright, so he jets away and escapes. And he vows that they'll meet again, which, of course, they will. It ends with C-3PO explaining that Chewbacca suspected something wasn't right with Boba Fett from the very beginning. And why is that? Because he didn't smell right. Yes, and they all laugh, ha 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 ha, as they leave this area, this the Panna system or whatever. And it finishes with presumably Finn or the end in this alien language. Yeah, like I said, Han and Chewie knew Boba Fett. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this wasn't a new individual to them. And uh, also, when Boba Fett jetted away, it's like he was the only one armed. <laughs> so I don't know why he didn't just like take them all captive then and there or like stopped didn't give the medicine to Han and Luke and took care of Chewie first and then tied up the humans before waking them up now this cartoon was produced by Nelvana Limited they were a production animation production studio out of Toronto and after this they went on to create two animated Star Wars series in this fashion uh, in 1985, uh, they created the series Droids and Ewoks, and I've never personally seen any of these, but I've heard they're pretty terrible. Yeah, I haven't seen them either, though I've heard of both. 
Yeah, and I think they had a DVD release. I'm not sure if they're out of print now. All right, so that ends, and it cuts back to Kashyyyk. Lumpy applauds. Meanwhile, they're just trashing his room. They're going through everything and being a little mean, too, twisting the head off of his stuffed Bantha doll. But there was nothing up there. And I love the line where he says, Go clean your room. <laughs> it's like really showing the kids that this is a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Lumpy, this little idiot we see walking on the railing on the treehouse, also seems to be a genius who sets about creating this translation device from what's called the Amorphian Machine. And this is supposed to mimic the Imperial Commander's voice with the hopes that it's going to call everybody back to their base. And so he must first watch a video manual starring, of course, Harvey Corman once again, this time as a malfunctioning robot instructor. You guys like this? (laughs) This was the most bizarre ridiculous thing I have ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> Just filler. What? Yeah. I, I, it was, it made me a little uncomfortable. I must yeah, say. it's it's so dumb. It, the, the whole premise of this is that he's going to explain these complicated instructions, but while he does, they're going to slow down and speed up his voice, and they're going to make the footage jump, and he's supposed to, and he's wearing some sort of, like, metallic makeup a little bit. Yeah. Like, is this supposed to be edgy? I, I don't know. It's not funny, that's for sure. <laughs> I question why a company would have a faulty humanoid droid on an instruction video. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't uh, put your product in a good light. So, again, mercifully, we get another commercial break. And we return on the matte painting of the treehouse, and Lumpy continues to work on this device, and the Imperial officers gather to watch the TV program Life on Tatooine. And why are they watching it? Because it's a live broadcast that's required viewing for all members of the Imperial forces, with the hopes that everyone's lives will be uplifted by the comparison. What a bunch of jerks. (laughs) Uh, It also said that this broadcast was supposed to help them to remain upstanding citizens. (laughs) I'm not sure how that was going to take place. Yeah, it's a it's a bar scene for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Star Wars version of Cheers. Yeah, really. <laughs> but a lot worse. <laughs> yes, we, we see the cantina scene, and this is the the famous Mos Eisley's Cantina, which is a you know beloved scene in the Star Wars trilogy. We open with that alien Figrin Dan is his name, Paul. Is that right? Uh yes, I believe so. And his band, I, I the modal nodes, and they're playing that classic most Eisley's cantina theme that you know and we see that variety of aliens or you know a whole bunch of different creatures and at the bar the character Akmina played by B Arthur for some reason is approached by her admirer Krellman of course played by Harvey Corman who's playing practically every other role in this special so, B. Arthur claimed she only appeared in this special because her youngest was a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> the, I wonder if she ever regrets her decision here. Oh, I know. And also, another tidbit about the cantina scene. Apparently, this sequence took an entire day to shoot. Oh. The actors in the alien costumes began to pass out due to lack of oxygen. <laughs> 
So, of course, oxygen tanks were provided for them to use between the takes. Oh, my goodness. What a train wreck. Oh, I can't even imagine. The premise of this scene is really weird, too. This guy, Krellman, he brings Akmina some flowers. Some earth flowers, oddly enough. He orders a drink. He drinks it how? Did you guys see this? Through the top of his head. Yeah, very disturbing. <laughs> Disgusting. And in the middle of this, the Empire announces that there's going to be a curfew on Tatooine. And, of course, nobody wants to leave. So the only way Akmina can get everybody to leave is by singing. And we just get this terrible scene of B. Arthur singing to puppets and dancing with these rubber-masked aliens. Did you notice the music she was singing to was the same song? Yeah. Just slowed down? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that was just so they don't have to bother writing new songs. They just, like, sing it to the cantina theme and... Uh, that da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, and, you know, B. Arthur, you know, she was great in Maud and Golden Girls and everything, but I don't, I didn't appreciate her singing voice. Sorry. Better than Carrie Fisher's. <laughs> uh, this scene ends, thank goodness, and uh, the Imperial officers now are being called back to their base at uh, this treehouse in Kashyyyk. And, of course, we see Lumpy is behind this false call on the machine that he, he built. They all leave except for one stormtrooper who's ordered to stay and wait for when Chewbacca returns. So they, they pretty much suspect that Chewbacca is either the rebel or involved with the, the rebels that they're looking for. So this guy has to stay behind and wait for when he returns. And I love the line that the guy says, It's possible he's one of the rebels we're looking for. <laughs> So Lumpy keeps playing the call, even though everybody left. And so the stormtrooper's like, what? So he goes upstairs to check it out. And there's Lumpy still playing the return to base call. And we cut to a commercial break. So suspenseful. <laughs> so when we return, this is a, probably a very satisfying scene. The stormtrooper smashes Lumpy's device on the ground. <laughs> and chases him downstairs. But who's waiting for him? Chewbacca. <laughs> and so Han Solo's there with them, and Han chops the blaster out of the trooper's hands, and I guess they had some loose wood out on the balcony or whatever. <laughs> yeah, with a small Wookiee running around. Jeez. You know? Yeah, not too safe. And so the stormtrooper just takes a header right through the railing and falls presumably to his death. With a, a classic Wilhelm scream. Now that that's a very often used sound effect throughout the history of cinema, including the Star Wars films, that, that scream. It's a very famous sound effect that's always used, so it's pretty funny they decided to throw one in here. <laughs> Once everybody is safe, Han goes inside, and he and the Wookiees share a group hug. Now how did you guys like this touching scene? Best acting I've seen in the whole special so far. <laughs> <laughs> I was just praying that they didn't get their hair knotted together. <laughs> I had to pull out the scissors to get apart. Oh my God. How do they chew gum? <laughs> I love the moment where Han Solo says, you're like family to me. 
deep, meaningful stare. <laughs> yeah, you can just see in Harrison Ford's eyes, like, what am I doing? <laughs> and he was reluctant to even be a part of this special in the first place. But they, they convinced him. But you can tell he had no interest in being there and probably regretted every moment of it. Did you notice in this scene when Han said that Chewie had saved his tail more than a couple of times? Yes. Yeah. I was thinking, doesn't that satisfy the life debt that Chewie owes him? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Through this whole thing, I'm thinking about what a terrible husband and father Chewbacca is <laughs> to be hanging out with his best friend, like roving around the galaxy, when his poor wife and child are stuck at home missing him. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's the cover. Uh, yeah, it's the life debt. You know, I can't come home. Yeah, so strange. And being a rebel, or be, at least being involved with rebels, puts his family in harm's way. It's not like they're safe back at home. I actually read on Wikipedia about Lumpy that the absence of his father caused him to grow up shy and timid, rarely leaving home. <laughs> Well, that's a blessing. I think it could have been his name, too. I mean, you're going to get picked on with a name like Lumpy. <laughs> of course, I'd be afraid to leave home if I saw a guy die in front of me by falling off the railing. <laughs> that same railing that he was walking on earlier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I bet you he never walked on that railing again. Ugh. Also, according to Wikipedia, Lumpy was born one year before the Battle of Yavin, so that would make him approximately two in this. <laughs> so, so they must definitely grow up a little bit faster than human babies. Yeah, cause, and even if Wookiees live to be like 400, he's like months old in Wookiee years. Yeah. Practically an infant. Ugh. They mature faster, and they stay alive longer. Uh, I, lo I love here, too, in the scene where Han and Chewie, they hug, and then the Wookiees hug, and Mala gives Chewbacca this, like, long, tilted head glare. Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, an oh, you type thing, or a uh, where were you type stare, but it's just the weirdest look that they linger on for the longest time. Yeah. I was like, are they going to kiss, or are they just going to... How are they going to kiss if they're going to kiss? <laughs> that would be pretty funny. <laughs> just these two, like, molded, fur-covered latex masks just hitting each other. <laughs> Sounds more violent. <laughs> <laughs> Romantic. <laughs> yeah. So they embrace. Everyone shares a tender embrace. And then the suspenseful music kicks in again, and there's knocking on the door. It's Son Dan again. And Son talks, he's referring to the Stormtrooper, but he doesn't really mention it. But he's like, you won't be bothered by him again. Yeah, thanks to, like, Han Solo, not him. How does, how did he see that? I don't understand. My guess is he, like, disposed of the body or something? <laughs> horribly more. I know, I, like, I want to see that scene. I want to see Son Dan be like, <laughs> oh, let me bring them some more gifts. Oh, what's this? All right, I'll, I'll bury this guy. <laughs> he was probably pulling up in his land speeder. And it, like, fell on the hood or something. <laughs> so, just then, this general alert comes on the view screen, and a high-ranking official calls for Officer B-4711. Son decides to call him back, and tells him that the missing trooper... Oh, yeah, he just completely flipped the script, and 
he stole food out of this house, he robbed me, and he just took off for the hills. And, yeah, that seems to work. There'll, there'll be no further investigation. And you know what? How did the officer on the other end of the line not notice it's a Wookiee's house? Not notice that this isn't Son Dan's normal... It has to have GPS on it or something. <laughs> I don't know. I question how much uh, this officer has to do. Because he was involved in the announcing of the blockade around Kashyyyk. Then he announced the curfew on Tatooine. And now he's making an even more personal call looking for a specific trooper. <laughs> so he has a lot of work to do, I think. Yeah, you would think with, the, with this army of, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands, you know, they could split like it could, up a little bit. I could see if he was just the Kashyyyk guy or whatever, but then he announces the tattooing curfew. I'm like, what's going on here? (laughs) It really took me out of the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) As submersive as it was. Oh, yeah. So after this, Sondan says goodbye. Why did he return? What was he even there for in the first place? He doesn't pick up or, or leave anything. They probably had him under contract. Art Carney, to put in so many minutes on screen. I guess. They found out he was two minutes short, so... <laughs> Get back in there. So the the Wookiees then decide to walk over to their Ikea furniture and pick up these glowing light-up orbs and hold them up. And this superimposed glow comes over the screen, and we now see the Wookiees wearing red robes. Almost like Queen in the Bohemian Rhapsody video. I'm not sure if if they mentioned that in the Rift Tracks commentary. But yeah, they did. They did started they? singing it. Because that's what it reminded me of, like that positioning. It then fades into this whole line of Wookiees marching in red robes towards a light. And, and the star field is in the background. So at this point, everyone must have just been like, what is going on? Well... They would say that after Carrie Fisher starts singing. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, we, we, we get a commercial break at this point, because this is going to be the cliffhanger that's going to have everybody wanting to come back and see how this thing ends, of course. And when we return, they're, they're in this, like, outdoor courtyard at the base of a giant tree. Our, a C-3PO and R2-D2 show up for no reason to wish them all a happy life day. And as Lily mentioned, Leia shows up along with Han and Luke. And before Leia sings, she gives, like, this weird speech about how, you know, everyone's the same on the inside and everything. Yeah, what? What does that even mean in context of what just happened? Right, it's like, they're all good guys. They know this Leia. And so she begins to sing this song. (laughs) Let's just skip it. I don't even want to talk about it. Oh, you got to talk about it. (laughs) Paul, you like this song? Uh, I have no comment on the song. <laughs> <laughs> I question if Han and Chewie had such a hard time getting to Life Day, why did Luke, R2, Leia, and 3PO risk their lives to get there, too? <laughs> I mean, is this a pact that they all share? Like, does everyone have to go to Tatooine with Luke for the Boonset E Classic? <laughs> And, you know, everyone has to go to Corellia with Han for whatever their Independence Day or whatever. Uh, 
briefly Leia's left out because Alderaan's gone. But, <laughs> no, uh, no holidays back home for her. <laughs> no. And I also questioned why Luke was wearing his Tatooine clothes on Kashyyyk. Like, he probably wore his X-Wing flight suit to get there, if that's what he flew in. So why not just wear that? I guess it wasn't uh, dressy enough. <laughs> that would make too much sense. Yeah, it, it supposedly, too, like in this scene with the song, from what I've read, I don't know if this is true or not, but Carrie Fisher like demanded to, that she have a song to sing. And so they said, okay, and they gave her this, and she was not too pleased with it. I don't know if she was on anything, but she looks pretty out of it. I think most of the uh, production team and everyone involved in this were on something. <laughs> there, There isn't much, as I brought out earlier, there isn't much reference to this special from Star Wars. Like, they will very rarely admit to it because of just how bad it was and how embarrassed they were of it. But they came out with this book a few years back called The Star Wars Vault. It's a giant book filled with all kinds of, like, uh, it's almost like a fake scrapbook. It has reproductions of original notes and drawings and advertisements and designs. It's kind of interesting. It comes with two CDs, and it's an audio retrospective. And one of the tracks, believe it or not, is Carrie Fisher Sings in the Star Wars Holiday Special. And so they actually did release a track of her singing, which was pretty funny. In this song, I don't even know what she's singing. It's over the Star Wars theme slowed down, much like B. Arthur's song is over the Cantina theme slowed down. And some of the notes she hits are just so off. That, for me, was the low point of all of this. For Forget about the virtual erotica that Itchy was enjoying. <laughs> now, you know how this made no sense to any of us, how they ended this special? Right. Back to that... Esquire.com interview conducted by Jennifer M. Wood. When she talks to Steve Binder or Binder, the, the director of this, she asks him, what is your most memorable moment from the set? And he said that he was told by the art director just hours before the last day of shooting that we had no set planned or built for the grand finale and no budget left to spend on this huge production number. He said... <laughs> He goes on to say, I told him to send his crew all over town and buy every wax candle they could find, even if they didn't match, and have them ready by the time we were set to begin shooting. And he says, when we were ready to begin the day's work, we had hundreds of candles, all sizes, shapes, and forms, and with proper lighting, and with all the candles lit and placed throughout the entire stage, the effect looked great, and to this day, nobody that I know has ever commented on the lack of scenery when we shot Life Day. So they didn't even know what to do. So that's why they just had this, all right, let's gather them all together in red robes and have them hold these glowing things and have candles all around. <laughs> well, why would they comment on that when the rest of the movie is such a piece of garbage? <laughs> so after this song, the special gives us a close-up of Chewbacca's face, followed by this montage of random movie footage shot from A New Hope. And I guess this is supposed to be Chewbacca, like, thinking back on moments from his life? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Yeah, there was a blue haze around it. It's like he's thinking back to all the fond memories with 
his rebel friend. Where he almost died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just so strange. I guess that's as far back as his memory goes is the last movie. So then from here, it goes into another commercial break. And coming back from commercial, we are finally put out of our misery with a final scene of the Wookiees sitting at the table to eat what I presume is an ice-cold Life Day meal. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Just, Either that or extremely overcooked. Yeah, or raw. Did we ever see her actually put it in the oven or put it on the stove? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and we zoom back from a, a darkened treehouse painting and credits roll. Oh and just God. just wow. So overall, guys, what are, what are your thoughts upon watching this? So it, I had an epiphany while watching this. Um, I have a lot of respect for everybody who has remained a Star Wars fan <laughs> since the release of the original trilogy. To see all of your favorite characters, all of your favorite aspects about what you love so much just be butchered and remastered and changed that's incredible to me <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah special is terrible <laughs> yeah certainly a low point you could see why they did not want it to ever see the light of day well my first experience with star wars was roughly in 1990 and I first saw The Empire Strikes Back. And it, like I said, it wasn't until maybe 2002, around then, that I saw the holiday special with you, Scott. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had 12 years of Star Wars fandom under my belt at that point. So it would take a lot to jar me from that. But this and the prequels... <laughs> Hasn't helped. Doesn't make it easy. It's almost like being a Red Sox fan this year. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Lot, lots of highs. The highs are very high and the lows are just very, very low. <laughs> I have to mention that uh, a David Hofsteed or Hofsted uh, wrote a book, What Were They Thinking? The 100 Dumbest Events in Television History. And ranked number one in his book is the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> I Deservedly so. Yeah, the, the title of that chapter is The Worst Two Hours of Television Ever. <laughs> Hard to disagree. It's just so disjointed, so poorly done, and, and like the director said, they shouldn't have marketed this thing as like a little mini-sequel to the movie that everybody loved that had just shattered box office records had effects that had never been seen before and still hold up now. And when they put it on, they just saw something like they would have seen on the Carol Burnett show. <laughs> just with furry costumes and very little human dialogue. I was curious why CBS ran this, because obviously the movies were produced by 20th Century Fox. Oh, I don't there think... there was a Fox channel back then? I don't think Fox had a network back then. Well, lucky them. <laughs> Yeah, this is like you said, Paul, this is a, a special that, thanks to you, I finally got to see, or no thanks to you. Yeah, I think this is like an important part of Star Wars, just for the fact that you could see 
if you're a completist and you want to see every adaptation and everything that's connected to the Star Wars universe, canon or not canon, it's an important part of it. And if you're like me and you love watching just the stupidest stuff and making fun of terrible productions, this is definitely something to check out. I would recommend watching it like Lily and just kind of skimming through some of the slower moments or buying it on Rift Tracks. I think that's probably the, the best way. Adds a little uh, sugar coating to what is a bland or sour <laughs> tasting production. But yeah, it's, it's just awful. And if you're the type of person that enjoys watching awful stuff, oh, there's plenty to take away from this. So you know how we feel, and unfortunately Sean was not able to join us, he's a little under the weather, but he was able to call us on our hitting play voicemail inbox, so let's take a listen to what Sean thought of this special. Hello everyone, this is Sean. I'm not feeling well this evening, so I'm leaving a voicemail on our phone number to express my extreme displeasure and thoughts about the Star Wars Holiday Special. As you're probably discussing right now, it's a complete train wreck of a show. It actually made me physically sick watching it, and that's why I am not here this evening. That's not entirely true, but pretty close. Um, my thoughts on it, I'm embarrassed that it was uh, shown the year I was born. It's an embarrassment to 1978. It's obviously just a huge uh, money grab for George Lucas and everyone involved in it, and that's that's all it is. It's his only time, I think, in the series of Star Wars so far that I've been rooting for the Empire to wipe out the Wookiees. I mean, the only high point, I would say, would be B. Arthur and her fantastic role in the film, in the, the show, excuse me. And Jefferson the Starship, of course. I mean, who can forget that? But otherwise, just total other nonsense. And the fact also, I enjoyed that Carrie Fisher was obviously stolen during the entire filming of this show. I guess that has it going for too. If you want to see a stone Carrie Fisher, watch the show, especially near the end. They do the Wookiee Life Day nonsense. I mean, I guess it's the kind of thing you have to watch it once in your life or not. But if you want to watch it, watch it. Watch the Rift Tracks version. It's fantastic. I, I really don't like talking about it because it's making me <coughs> ill again. So sorry for that. i got to get to the bathroom in a minute, but give me the squirts too, unfortunately. So I guess that's about it. Well, thank you, Sean, for that colorful review and uh, hope you're feeling much better. And that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, how you and your family celebrate Life Day, whatever you got for us, at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. Or you can talk to us anytime on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, I'll plug my YouTube channel. Uh, if you enjoy video games and semi-witty commentary, you can find me on YouTube, LilyPution22, and I'm under the same handle on Twitter. And uh, I'll plug my Twitter. Um, 99% of it is ranting about the Red Sox, but it's uh, at Zajewski. That's spelled Z-A-J-C-Z-E-W-S-K-I. I'm on Twitter, too. My name is at MC and Friends. You can find me there. I'm also on Vine. My name there is MC and Friends as well. And there I do some flip page animation and try to be humorous with my cartoons there, so you can check my stuff out there. Also, I'd like to mention, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. 
it helps us out. And if you do, we will give you a shout out on the show. We try to be very creative with those. You can also tap to rate us five stars right on our iTunes page. And anything that you'd be willing to do for us in that respect, we definitely appreciate your help. Well, we have been Paul, Lily, and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Life Day. (laughs) Happy Life Day. (laughs)